Hello and welcome to the Stone Butch Disco podcast. This is your host, Rachel. This week I was lucky enough to get the chance to talk to Lisa Selen Davis, the author of the universally and deservedly super well-reviewed book, Tomboy, The Surprising History and Future of Girls Who Dare to be Different. And I'm so glad I found that book, even three years after it was published. I found it late, but it is therapy for me. Um, She also has a forthcoming book, Housewife, Myths of Women's Work and the Modern Family. So you get the sense of where she might be coming from with both of those projects, kind of looking at role types and the words that we use to kind of corral, um, I, I guess, fundamentally female experiences into these like cultural categories. Um, Tomboy is a really interesting book, and I wanted to read you a few excerpts from it so you can get a sense of your buy-in to this conversation. Um, Check the show notes for the links to Lisa's Substack and to Tomboy. Now, as a former Tomboy myself and a butch now, um, and somebody who has thought a lot about how those different words meant different things to me at different times and had different kind of loaded uh, associations, I am just thinking on this Trans Visibility Day about all types of gender nonconformity and how like visibility has been achieved in certain areas and not in others. And Lisa actually back in 2020 when Tomboy came out and even before that in 2017 in an op-ed that was controversial, she's really looked at why it seems that masculine women are like the final frontier of the representation of gender diversity. And so let me... I I just, I feel a lot of what she writes. And so I wanted to take you through those moments in Tomboy. Um, So I guess to frame all of this, there's, there's somebody whose work I just learned about. Carlene Pendleton Jimenez is a professor of education at Trent University, and she's written a book, Tomboys and Other Gender Heroes. Um, And actually Lisa talked to her when she was writing Tomboy, her her book on Tomboys. And um, Jimenez said, what to me feels still true. I wonder if this feels true for you, but to me, this feels true. There are hardly any tomboy or butch role models. Why would anyone think they could grow up to be butch or be a tomboy? I actually think that phrasing is interesting because we don't think about anyone growing up to be a tomboy. Um, But there is this, and Jimenez kind of points to it elsewhere in the book where she is quoted in more detail, but she points to this um, way that those words are bedfellows that's the terrible term for this but the way that like butch either butch or trans man gets framed as like the outcome of tomboy in a lot of situations and actually lisa in her book talks about quora searches and like things that she found on the internet when she was doing this discourse analysis and if you follow my project you know that kind of thing is very close to my heart but she found um here i just double clicked on this thing like so many posts on Quora, and actually even a 2010 Planned Parenthood article, the Planned Parenthood article said, or was titled, is being a tomboy the same as being transgender? And then all these Quora posts she found include like, how do you know if you're transgender or a tomboy? Am I actually trans or just a tomboy? We're all trans men tomboys. Um, I'm a girl who is a tomboy. Are there any signs of being trans? All those questions kind of position trans as the outcome of tomboyishness. And then uh, the like Jimenez points to the fact that Butch is often deemed like the future life of the tomboy. Um, So I think the term tomboy is so interesting because it really does get to the heart of what it means to cross 
boundaries and boxes and things, using not only your gender identity as your weapon in that crossing, but also your sex, like having been born female and what from there your gender transgression looks like. For, a, for many of us, it's shaped by this word tomboy, but clearly in different ways, which I think is one of the reasons that her book is so salient now. Jimenez asked the basic question, there aren't any tomboy or butch role models. Why would anyone think they could grow up to be a butch or a tomboy? Butch women have been talking about increasingly these days. Um, you know, there are a lot of voices who are celebrating unilaterally or unidirectionally celebrating media for being more inclusive. And I think butch women and femme lesbians who are really into butch women are, are kind of on the outs of that looking in and saying, but we're still not on screen. So what does that mean? Lisa was noticing that back when she was writing Tomboy. Um, she has a section that talks about how there are more shows with trans characters, but there aren't more shows with masculine women. And something really caught my eye in Lisa's writing. Um, around page 76, 77, she's talking about representations of gender on screen and really kind of looking at why why masculine girls might remain, or masculine women might remain the final, like, unrepresentable category, like, why that appears to be the case. Um, and she's looking at cases of rewriting characters to be trans characters that were previously regarded as masculine female characters. I have a paper myself about the character of anybody's in West Side Story and about this kind of strange metaphysics that emerged when anybody's got rewritten to be a non-binary trans character which made it sound like the character existed prior to the writing, that like the character had always been trans. And I think that relates really closely to a movement within the discipline of history to like reclaim people who might have lived outside of gender norms as trans or as non-binary. Um, Jen Mannion is a historian who has used that they them pronouns for every female person who did not conform to gender stereotypes. So kind of chose a non-binary identity for those historical figures. Lisa Salen Davis sees that as ahistorical, and I, I agree with her that that's a very problematic thing to do. I think it's one thing to say that there are people in the past who had same-sex homosexual interactions, right? And that the group of people in the present who call those people lesbians can probably just call those people lesbians. That's one thing, because it is actually just based on behavior. But to impart a trans identity to a person in the past because they're doing things that they could not have done socially as women feels like a different kind of a jump. In any case, there is that movement, but it's happening within fiction writing where it's like, we're at, like when people wrote about the West Side Story character, it was like, no, anybody's has always been trans when in actual fact, anybody's was not written as a trans character. So what is that past, that past that is so, that is beyond masculine womanhood that we're like trying to pull into the present that that did not exist. It's a non-existent past of a character that was written as a masculine woman. It's interesting. Um, so why are masculine women still out? That's the question, but this got me. Lisa wrote, the media shape our ideas of normalcy and many gender identity rebelling young characters on big and small screens are now presented as variations, not deviations of gender variations not deviations and I sat and looked at that and I really think that that matters and I think that gets to it I think butch woman is not a variation among the pluralistic variations a butch woman is unsettling to everyone um we're still really really deviant and I think that it is really easy 
for the world to pretend to itself that it has represented every form of gender um, when we're not there. I think we disrupt that. And I'll just say with, that like, with every ounce of my soul, I believe that an avowedly female appropriation of masculinity, like an actually full-on taking on of masculine traits by a female person is like so terrifying to the system, to the man, and so different than what we see that that is unique. That's something else. And so I, I don't know exactly what that means, but I liked that idea that the, that characters now are, are varying gender, like look at all these options you can be, but they're not being deviant. Um, and I think a masculine woman would be deviant, or maybe that's my the way my brain is trying to figure out the absence of masculine women is to say, maybe Lisa's right that like, we're, what we're not seeing are deviations, like real rebellious deviations. And also I'm biased because she really got me with her chapter about Joe from the facts of life. Like not Joe March, although Joe March is great from Little Women, but Joe from the facts of life. Joe from the facts of life, whose butchness was so deeply tied to her sexual tension with Blair that like, it's obvious why she had to be feminized. If Joe had been like, three steps if she had just been a like bull dagger that would have been the hottest shit ever and i know i'm one of literally thousands tens of thousands of lesbians who see that as like a proto butch femme representation on television but i mean here we are 25 years after i was growing up watching that show 20 years after it was originally made and we still don't have the actual thing that we wanted that to be on screen anywhere it's like everything that was pretty radical about how joe was a different kind of girl and uh how that was playing out in a, essentially a tiny society of women is just gone. I think you can tell whose voices are really being heard and whose aren't when you look at who is celebrating the media and who is still criticizing it. So Lisa's like super cool. I'm sure she'll tolerate my prolonged introduction to our conversation. Um, but I just mean to say, I really think she's onto something in so many different ways. And even if you're not like vibing with what I just said, the book Tomboy has things that you will vibe with. It is very interesting. There's multiple kind of, she parachutes you down into different bits of the history of this word, which is also deserves to be said, very built up in like the white cult of domesticity, like womanhood stuff in the 1800s. And like, Tomboy ended up being used, like, not just as something liberating. In fact, quite the opposite in different spaces and times. So it's just worth, it's worth, worth a read. But I do want to leave us with, um, like, a little bit of characteristic Lisa um, attitude, which is she was talking to Jack Halberstam about um, the tomboy, like, not being a threatening figure. Basically, like, there's more representation, and it's in this chapter about the growing representation of trans identities as kind of the new label under which gender nonconformity is flying in the media. Um, but then Lisa was saying, like, what happened to the tomboy or what happened to gender nonconformity in that mode? Um, and Halberstam says, like, in the past, the tomboy had a time and place and was not threatening at all. She was just a different kind of girl. Um, so Halberstam is actually saying that a tomboy is not threatening because she's a different kind of girl. My favorite thing that Lisa says is maybe she is just a different kind of girl, but let's add her back into the mix. And I, I really feel like 
so many of our problems these days, and especially problems for butch women, especially problems for girls trying to figure themselves out and having literally no butch role model, no masculine woman role model, no role model of deviation from like strict norms of femininity and still being a woman. Um, those people are being told that if you're just a girl, if you're just a different kind of girl, then you're not threatening. I would argue that maybe it's the exact opposite, that if you're a different kind of girl, you're the most threatening. With that being said, I'm going to drop you into my conversation with Lisa because she has more profound things to say about it than I can say. But I did want to advertise for her a bit, and I want to talk about why I thought her book was so important. realized I'm about to drop you right into the heart of like some very loaded words but bear with us because we're actually just going to start talking about the discourse around childhood and what girls and boys see reflected about those categories girls and boys I knew that there was something wrong with the discussion around childhood transition I mean this started for me in 2017 when I wrote this op-ed in the times mm -hmm about the assumption that my masculine daughter was actually a boy and uh and should be transitioned i didn't know i didn't know the term social transition i didn't know anything about this but uh then there was a big you know backlash culture war then i decided after hiding for a bit i decided to come out of hiding and go deeper and it was really hard then in, in 2018 i think to to yeah. even to even understand why what I had said was um, so controversial. And I wanted to read you the first few lines from this op-ed in the New York Times um, that Lisa wrote, because now that I'm reading it, I wish that I had seen it when I was 25. Um, the title is, My Daughter is Not Transgender, She's a Tomboy, April 18th, 2017. It starts with a quote uh, from her daughter's teacher. I just wanted to check, the teacher said, your child wants to be called a boy, right? Or is she a boy that wants to be called a girl? Which is it again? I cocked my head. I am used to correcting strangers who mistake my seven-year-old daughter for a boy 100% of the time. In fact, I love correcting them, making them reconsider their perceptions of what a girl looks like. But my daughter had been attending the after-school program where this woman taught for six months. She's a girl, I said. The woman looked unconvinced. Really, she's a girl, and you can refer to her as a girl. Later, when I relayed this conversation to my daughter, she said, more girls should look like this, so it's more popular, so grown-ups won't be so confused. You had kind of playfully, but also potentially seriously proposed a book, Butch, a new novel for children today. Do you think that could be published? Oh, today? seriously. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely think we need a YA book called Butch about a, um, and I actually wrote a letter to um, uh, Alison Bechdel, but I think I, I think I sent it by email and then got a thing saying like, Alison Bechdel does not do email and printed it out and then never made it to the mailbox. Um Yes, I, I think it would be great to have a, bu a book called Butch, and I've taken lots of notes for it, but we're also in this time where you can only write about your own social category, which is, for me, 
middle-aged, uh, atheist, feminist, like hairy armpitted, um, vaguely kind of Jewish, you know, like what am I, what would I? Well, I'd read that book too. There's nothing to say about my category. <laughs> um, I am, I am so disappointed and sad that I didn't see your 2017 op-ed in the New York Times because that was when I was in the thick of this. I was, um, I was a tomboy growing up. I had been compulsorily heterosexualized <laughs> uh, by the time I was 14. And I dated a, a man as kind of like a protective measure through college, right? And then when I, when I couldn't avoid the feelings that I was gay, I came out as gay. Um, but those feelings were really, really tightly linked to a, a, the sense that I was a different kind of lesbian than other lesbians. So like my nascent Bush identity, that masculinity was structuring my lesbianism. I knew that really early. Well. I, I got into a fancy academic program, George Gerbner Central, Annenberg School for Communication. And that was where I thought we were going to be talking about how representation like structures what is and is not seen to be possible in the world. The minute I get there, I realize people are are interpolating me as trans um, aggressively. And the shorter my hair gets, the more ob obvious that is. And then the people that I am sleeping with are telling me, oh, the way you're doing this is actually a trans thing. Did you know that? And I thought, well, maybe it is. I have never felt particularly attached to being a girl because for me, being a girl was nothing more than, than a social class. It was a social class. I wanted to take things back. Like I read you know, the magazine Boy's Life, which literally tells you it's for a boy's life. But I was like, I'm going to appropriate this because I'm a part of this class that doesn't get this that should. I'm, and so girl to me was not like the interior truth of my soul. There was no metaphysics associated with me being a girl. It was just, this is, this is the body that I have, the class that I'm born into, who I am. But for that reason, I was very, I will say susceptible. That's a loaded word, but susceptible to the narrative that I was, that I had been trans all along and didn't know it. And that specifically the sex that I was having was like characteristically a trans thing. So the box was like, like very targeted at, at butch lesbianism not being a thing. And then you have people like Jen Mannion who wrote the book, Female Husbands, who says at Penn in front of a group of people, butch is a trans identity. And then you've got Jack Halberstam who says at Penn in front of a group of people um, that he left the lesbian community in the 80s because it was too depressing, direct quote. Mm. Um, so I started writing my dissertation on the disappearance of the word lesbian in the academic space. My advisor identified as a queer femme and insisted that she should see herself in my writing about femme lesbians and butch lesbians, and that if she didn't, it wasn't legitimate work. And so it, I was getting this on all sides. I finally quit and decided to write my book outside of it. And then I came to teach students. And this is the longest elevator speech ever. But I had experienced some of this. And I only really was saved when I saw a model of female homosexuality that was what I had always felt that included masculinity. Right. And so I found that and decided that I wasn't trans. But for me, it was very much a decision and I was very much in a border territory for a long time. And particularly the decision around whether, whether to call myself non-binary is still an open question, right? There's all this like pressure to identify as non-binary if you identify in any way as gender non-conforming. All right, then I became a teacher. And then I realized the girls are struggling, suffering far more than the boys. You know, I'm in Texas, but I'm in a progressive area in Texas. The nerdy boys can do whatever they want. They're safe now. The girls are 
experiencing a compulsory heterosexuality that is worse than what I lived. And so when I read in your book about the hypergendering of childhood, it feels like it's getting worse. What I can see in what girls are experiencing is that it's even more hypergendered. And this is where I have been a coward myself. All of my non-binary students were female. All of them said they were non-binary because they wanted to wear different clothes. Just today I saw another, how did I know I was trans, like instructive video on TikTok that was saying, this person knew they were a trans man when they didn't like dresses. I didn't like dresses. I, I think there's like a TikTok discourse that is making this about appearances, or at least that's the way identity was being articulated to me by my high school students. The impetus for that was wanting to have a different presentation of yourself. But I saw something change in them when they realized that I was a woman. And so I'm, I've just witnessed this like narrowing, narrowing, narrowing of femininity down to like a tiny, tiny sliver. So you can't be a yeah. female and the conflation of non-binary with non-female, like you can't be both. Yeah. So that's what, that's what I've seen, what I've experienced. Like what I wanted to ask was, do you feel like this stuff has changed since 2017 or even since 2020 when Tomboy was published? Well, that was all really interesting to hear about. And I really like to hear about people who are on the front lines, especially with kids, because I mean, I have kids and they're in public school, um, but I'm not I'm not in there. I'm not in there with the kids. And I think I'm so vocal and out there that, you know, some people won't don't tell me things because they don't want me to start ranting or um, they don't they don't want me to disapprove or um or they just want to have like a nice evening and not have me talk about gender so I hear bits and pieces of what's going on right? I don't really know and so much of your story is is about how we understand sex and gender differently and and sexuality in different eras and one of the things that I think is valuable in in my book even though I I would write certain things at least two chapters completely over if I could, and I wish I could, um, is that it illuminates how our understandings change generationally. And it's incredibly important for people to understand that. It's about it's about how we make sense of sex and gender and sexuality. So long before we had the term homosexuality, you had people having sex with other people of the same sex. We just didn't have a, in, in Western culture, an understanding of that, a, a name for that. Mm. And we have lots of records going back, you know, hundreds of years of people exhibiting non-conforming behaviors for a lot of different reasons, right? You have women um, parading as men, fighting in the civil war and there's this impetus to say they were transgender but they couldn't fight as women so mm -hmm. we can't know and so it's really important not to impose our current understandings of gender onto the past and at the same time to accept that the way we're understanding the, this right now is just the way we're understanding it right now and it may change and, and it needs to change because it's regressive. So what we might've understood briefly in the nineties during the tiny, tiny uh, lesbian heyday that existed. Yeah, um, yeah, there was this little tiny window when we had um, 
lesbian bars, which I'm really not a lesbian, but I've had a couple of dated a couple of women. And I, in the nineties, most of my friends were lesbians and we were, uh, and it was a great, it was a great time. And, um, yeah, there were lesbian bars and there were lesbian indie movies and, um, and there was, um, kind of a lesbian awareness. I mean, of course I was in New York city hanging out with a bunch of lesbians, so I can't, I don't know what was going on elsewhere, but certainly around these parts that was happening. Um, and Butch was a really important part of that. And, and I think Butch women were the most desirable in that, in that, and that I was certainly much more attracted to Butch women. And, and I think a lot of like straight women were attracted to Butch women, straightish women. So that's how we understood masculine women in that time. And now you have a lot of people understanding them as a, uh, fuzzy border uh, with, you know, brushing up against trans or you have women who are thinking, oh, I wanted this my whole life and now I can do it. Or you have um, women being convinced that they aren't women because they are naturally um, exhibiting traits that we associate with men and masculinity. And some of those people are transitioned and are happy and, um, some of those people are unhappy and feel they've been sold a lie. And part of that is this ridiculous simplification of this subject, the narrowing, the conflating gender stereotypes with sex and sex with gender and making gender mean gender identity and not stereotypes, expectations and norms. Yeah. So that's all a mouthful, but that's what I'd say. I, that's how I feel about this time. I feel it's kind of ahistorical and, and dangerously simplistic. Mm -hmm. And it is hard for me to overlook the way that female youth inevitably lose out when things narrow. Like it feels like the category of male now is expanding, expanding, expanding. And the category of female seems to be shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. Do you feel like these changes are landing differently on like female youth than on male youth? Because from my point of view, it it's landing hard and bad on female people who are adjacent to my experience. I guess my question is, what's the importance of retaining these sex-based distinctions so that we can even talk about the differences at play? I mean, that's that's a, an important question that, that we need to be able to answer because you have so many people now, people who would have been feminists 20 years ago, who, you know, talking about the importance of sex-based rights. But in order to talk about that, we had to say, hey, men and women aren't that different. And now there are all these people sort of blaming feminists and saying, you said men and women aren't that different. And of course, we never meant our bodies Right. We meant, you know, we can practice law and medicine and and, you know, have credit cards in our own named names and not be legally raped by our husbands. And like all these yeah, things, that that very, very, very recent rights for women that young women today seem to have no idea. You know, two generations ago, you had so, so you know, you could vote, but that's only 100 years old. I mean. I don't think feminists were saying there's no difference between men and women 
biologically, but they were saying that conservatives or lots of men, the patriarchy, whatever, what, however they wanted to put it, were overemphasizing the role of biology in, in determining women's potential. Mm -hmm. This is a very strange time where we have actually so many different factions because now you have the people saying feminists underemphasized the differences between men and women and their how their personality traits or proclivities are shaped by biology. So you have these group of maybe liberals and scientists who are saying feminists are science deniers. And then you have um, in other countries, feminists, but here uh, the right and the silent faction of left and liberals objecting to gender ideology saying, you know, you're conflating the the this, this far left is is conflating you know sex with these proclivities like that that if you have the proclivities you are the other sex so it's like there are there are so many different factions and everybody's a very hard line and i'm trying to listen to them i'm trying to listen to all these different groups but i was raised in the 1970s i was reared on free to be you and me i was told that I need not be limited by my sex, that boys could cry, uh, that women could play sports, that I didn't have to be uh, feminine or masculine. And I still have a kind of default position when I hear, well, men and women are fundamentally psychologically different and have different kinds of brains. I still have the kind of like, I see so many exceptions to that rule. I don't know when it becomes a rule. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm navigating all of these different strains of thought. You know, as a writer, you, you try to listen, you try to synthesize. At some point though, when everyone is so hardline, you can't synthesize anything. That's how we get culture war. Right. Everyone is too extreme on and we pretend there are two factions, but there are so many factions. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know what question I just answered. Sorry, I went no, off into. A... <laughs> We're talking about the question of sex-based distinctions, which do appear to be mm. the thing that is disappearing. And my mm -hmm. sense is always the people who lose out when sex-based distinctions disappear are female people. Oh yeah, for so, sure. And I'm definitely that is true. my perspective. The way that I've been trying to like re-theorize or talk about that is not, is just to drop the word biology because as much as I hate it, that has become this like baseball bat in the culture war by both at each other, both both of the 17 million sides, right? But um, I've right. Just said, what I've said is like, it's a material, experiential, phenomenological difference. Mm -hmm. So we feel it, right? Like it doesn't matter. You can get me on board with the biology and hormones and all that stuff, but I'm not a biologist. I just know that like when I'm read in the world, when everyone assumes that like your daughter, that I am trans or non-binary, it's because they're reading us as female. Like uh -huh. they, you know, they wouldn't be doing that otherwise. Um, Speaking of which, how's your daughter? You don't have to talk about her, but a friend of mine was curious about how she's doing these days. Yeah, I mean, I made a lot of mistakes in terms of my assumptions about what it was appropriate for me to write about. And in the past few years, if I've mentioned my kids at all, I've I've read things to them and I did fact check Tomboy with them and they made changes. They okay. were very young, but um, but uh, look, knock on wood, my 
kids are doing great, uh, which is amazing considering the past few years. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're doing so much better than I was at their age. Um, and uh, that's, and I really hope it lasts and that me speaking it, it I hope it's not like saying there's no traffic and it all comes <laughs> crashing down. Um, but um, all I can say without violating their privacy is um, they don't feel the need to talk about this subject very much. And, yeah. and that is ultimately my goal. Mm -hmm. Right. Is yeah. to put my is to, is is to make my work someday irrelevant by de-emphasizing. I always say de-emphasizing sex and gender, and and by that I don't mean erasing sex, but I do mean not ruminating on it. And when you talked about um about all these girls and their different ways of seeing themselves, I just think that the ruminating on identity is very, very unhealthy. It's um, ruminating on what tribe you belong to and who's in it and who's not in it. Um, you know, some of that is a normal human function, but, but also the magic of childhood, and I'm not saying we should be sex blind and color blind and gender blind. I'm just saying the magic of childhood is that you can redraw the boundaries over and over again and that you find yourself uh, playing. You've got a group of friends and then like, oh, it's a few months later and you're trying out these new people and you're and you like my kids change their styles all the time. And um, now they're into these, you know, all these girls are really into um the like the 90s uh grunge look you know which is yeah, yeah. so funny because I'm like okay so now you all look like my older kid except with long hair um because they're all wearing these like baggy clothes and so to, to let kids explore without having to think about gender to teach them lessons about especially about gender identity I mean I think it's good and I've been working trying to work on some curricula for sex and gender, but, but again, it's corrective. It's not because I actually think they need it. Mm -hmm. I think it's great to listen to free to be you and me still. And I think that, that there isn't, um, some age appropriately age appropriate, developmentally appropriate ways to talk about, um, this is your body and it doesn't determine who you're going to be friends with or what you like to wear or do. I don't think they need a ton of messages beyond that. So what I'd like to do is have more kids not need to talk about it by pulling back most of what they're learning and then replacing it. Mm -hmm. But it's not, it turns out it's not up to me. No, I mean, I feel the same way. I would love to be irrelevant. I hate actually having to do the work that I'm doing right now, but it's because I feel like a physical pain in my body when I think about how I am very close to having a story that would have been at some point rather taken out of my hands because I was ready. I was very confused. I was like ready for somebody else to take care of me. And there were the second I even mentioned, I might be trans. It was like the, the sea parted and people were like, follow me, like, come, this is the clinic you call. This is who you talk to. And it would have been so, so helpful. I think at that time in my life for me to actually do that. 
Um, I just, I happened to be in a toxic relationship with the Academy that made me delay because I was thinking, wait a minute, why, why is this space, this fancy ivory tower space so aggressively disappearing the word lesbian? Like I had professors who would say, don't say that it's regressive. It's a white word. We don't use the word woman because it's reinforcing. Like there were word wars that I got in that I think, I think made me continue to ruminate my way out of what I was being told I needed to do, but it, it is so close to my soul. And especially when I see my students torturing themselves and they're only the female yeah. students, <clears throat> the female students who, by the way, are getting dick pics every day. Every single female human mm -hmm. being is getting harassed by boys in a way that is worse than it ever was when I was growing up. And if they don't make their life about a boy, they have to establish that they're in some third space. And what we are seeing is just the absolute absence of any feminist consciousness whatsoever among these kids. Like, and all the, all the, like in the gay straight Alliance of, of there were 50 kids in there, 50 kids. Um, all of the queer identified people were female and the gay boys would ask the girls. <clears throat> so does queer just mean lesbian? And the girls would have to say, they would actually enforce upon each other the norm of having to say, well, gender is made up so and they're like the boys would be like well but don't you date girls and they'd be like well basically we don't say that we don't say that but we're queer and we're non-binary so like gender isn't real it was like they lost the language to like articulate yeah. their bodies and that's the problem for me and what's so uncomfortable is that like the actual corrective in my view is <laughs> the visibility of a of a lesbian form of monogamy of sexuality of butchness and feminist as a real subculture that does exist that yeah. absent from the media yeah absent and so the corrective would be to show them that but I don't want kids to have to even think about that either but it's like the narrative that they're getting is you must want to not be a woman if you are having these feelings they have zero exposure to proper lesbianism at all in my view like it's not it is the only masculine female characters they're getting these days really truly are trans identified yeah. or not. Oh, I know. Yeah. Right. And so I mean, it's I, yeah, I've argued to bring I, I and I haven't argued to erase the trans voices in the media or or representations. I've just said like stick a couple of masculine girls in there. You know, we yeah. watched some soccer show on Amazon and there just wasn't even anybody with short hair on this soccer. Right. I can't remember what the show was, but I just thought like you know, my kid never saw anybody like her and it, it, we're except in our family. So, you know, this is, this is a known entity on both sides of her parents' families, but right for most kids, they have no idea about it. And again, I just said this recently, but um, a couple of years ago, my younger daughter brought home a book to read and it was just a book about going to the zoo and the family was a, you know, brown skinned family. And one of the kids was in a wheelchair and it was not about being brown skinned people going to the zoo. And it was not about people in wheelchairs going to the zoo. It just wasn't represented a, a diverse family, mm -hmm. uh, com at least compared to ours. And, um, and I really liked that. I really appreciated that, that yes, I, I think it's, I like, you know, my older kid goes to a very diverse school. I like that. I like diversity and representation. I like diversity in life. I think it's very important for young people today who are going to live in an America that is way more diverse than the one I grew up in. Um, but we don't necessarily need to have them all be issue books. So you don't need to read them 
I am jazz, you can read them a book with a feminine male. Yeah. You know, without saying, without introducing four-year-olds, not, not to the idea of transgender, but to the idea of being born in the wrong body and that you can fix that by transitioning. Because as I've written about, Jazz Jennings' story doesn't end by socially transitioning at the end of the book. Jazz Jazz's story is an ongoing story of really complex medicalization, multiple surgeries, no sexual function. And um, from some recent clips I've seen, like really, really difficult mental health stuff. Yeah. So I don't, I don't need the, the diverse representation to be like about the issues. This is again, one way that I want to promote uh, gender diversity to children, but de-emphasize it at the same time, you know, yeah. put ma- feminine boys and masculine girls in the books, but we don't have to, we don't have to read a, a book necessarily about that. The legitimacy of that. Yeah. Like uh, bringing ideology. Yeah. Because if the other books don't, don't, if the other books only show certain kinds of families, certain kinds of people, we end up marketing those ideas, whether we mean to or not, we market normalcy. And I am a believer in widening the range of normal. I always felt weird and different and unrepresented in so many ways. And you know, in the seventies, they started to have uh, Norman Lear started to make these shows about poor people. And he made a show about like a poor single mom with two kids. And I loved it. And there was another one, there was a waitress single mom. And I liked lots of shows that didn't look like my family, but it was awesome. It was (laughs) awesome to see that represented. Um, And it, yeah. So I do think there are lots of ways to be gendered and lots of ways to have families and we just don't want uh, dangerous and unscientific ideas uh, uh, shoved down the throats of impressionable young people. And I think, I think it's very hard on um, butch women in particular, who maybe went from, had a brief period of, um, kind of being super hot in the nineties to, you know, Oh, you like, if you're that you're actually this, you know, right. like the, the category was almost, it, it's almost like in this world of black and white thinking, it's too amorphous for people to wrap their minds around. And that's what we have been saying at Stone Butch Disco, which has come under fire as things do is that the, is that butch womanhood, as womanhood, just as a reclamation of femaleness, as a way to do it, um, really disrupts this a, bi- a false binary between cis and trans. Um, yeah. And we've been really pointing that out, that the word cis does not fit well with our experiences of, of our journeys. And we have been told by loud, mean commenters that like when we use the word female, so basically that we are cis and that we have privilege and that when we use the word female in the construction female masculinity, we're hurting them because we don't understand the privilege of, can't wrap my head around their argument because what they're basically saying is it's a privilege to be us, to be female. But they're, they're, there's the accusation that the word female is hurting people and that that comes from butch cis privilege, which that 
it's not how we live. <laughs> I don't, you know. Yeah, I mean, what makes people vulnerable is is being gender nonconforming. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. It's about, you know, the brain is wired to, okay, n- not a neurologist, but anyway, uh, with that caveat, uh, <laughs> you know, wired to put things into categories, all different kinds of categories, safe, unsafe, male, female, et cetera, for some reasons I know about and plenty I don't, I'm sure. And when you see someone who you can't slot neatly into a category, that's why you stare. You're just trying and trying and trying. Is that a man or a woman? Is that a man or a woman? You don't want to stare. You're not trying to be rude. It's it's just your brain wants to know where to slot that person. Mm -hmm. And those are the people, and I wish I had uh, a data point here, but I don't. Generally what, you know, gay hate crimes are about gender nonconformity, whether it's a behavior that's not associated with your sex or that you, you are identifiable Mm -hmm. in this way that you are, that you have these feminine mannerisms as a man or these masculine mannerisms as a girl, that is what makes you vulnerable. What could make, you know, other people, some people will stare, other people will commit violence, right? When they can't, when you are not doing what they expect and they react um, in a, a way that's difficult for you. I agree with you that that cis and trans is a, a binary that does not encompass the complexity of gender and obscures who is actually vulnerable because it has nothing to do with identity or at least it didn't, right? It has to do with our expectations of who men and women are and how they behave. Mm -hmm. And sex denialism moves us away from that. And sex denialism moves us away from feeling close to and comfortable with our bodies. And, you know, I did not have anything you would call gender dysphoria. And I don't even think I would have been diagnosed with body dysmorphia. But I had so much shame about my body and my looks. And um, I I have written about this, but my, <laughs> it's out there in the world, but my breasts kind of came out and they like went down and they didn't look like the other girl's boobs. And I, I ended up not being able to breastfeed. And somebody, there were things that could have been, um, if, if the medical community cared at all about this, things that people could have told me, a drug I could have taken in my first trimester. Um, I'm really big on not shaming women for not breastfeeding because uh, some people can't, but I could have if someone had, had um, explained to me what was going on. And it was just, I have a friend who's a health journalist and eventually told me. So I was so ashamed. I had, uh, I had hair between my breasts, which, and, and I had a treasure trail. And I just thought I was a total freak. And there were not like a lot of Ashkenazi people around. And I didn't, I, there, there didn't seem to be a hairy women, except for the bearded lady in downtown Amherst, Massachusetts, selling hippie scarves. Uh, and, you know, well, we were all totally accepting of the bearded lady, but she was a real grump. But, you know, it just, I had um, really strangely shaped hands and, and strangely shaped nails that uh, everyone in my family has, but 
it just seemed like all the girls had these like lovely oval nails. And I was just, I would just cry every night, every night. I just wanted to die. Um, I couldn't take my clothes off. And once I, you know, I just, it just was a, a horrible existence, but it wasn't because I was gendered differently or any of that. It just was like, this is not the body I want. It's not the right body. And, and I'm 51 now. And I, I am only starting to get out of that as I exercise more and like eat a little bit better, which I've only started. I mean, it's just, I just think that was all very personal and not about this subject, except to say it is teaching children that there's something wrong with their bodies because they don't conform to stereotypes is so frightening and backwards to me. And as someone who just hated my body so viscerally and felt so much shame, I don't wish it on anyone. And I think if you can encourage people to love their body, and this is what I, I, I ask parents of gender nonconforming children to do, to say to them every night, your body is perfect and your difference is your strength. It's a protective mm-hmm. prayer of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because I, despite the fact that I didn't have that experience of gender nonconformity, I had this, I've lived a lifetime of this other experience of deep shame and discomfort for the way I look. And now that I'm so much older, I just think like, what a waste of brain space. Mm-hmm. What could I have been doing if I, I know. I know. If I hadn't cared, yeah. if I wasn't ruminating about the way I didn't fulfill certain expectations of femaleness. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it, it could end up shaping your life, the spaces you choose to put yourself into. I've been thinking about like moments that I felt uncomfortable. Well, they were, they were deeply gendered in the sense that sex mattered. Like I was uncomfortable in the kind of like STEM, STEMI techie bro spaces that I probably would have enjoyed being in for like my skill set, And I never went that route. Um, but I remember feeling like deeply observed in all the wrong ways. Like I, you have this phrase, like sudden onset male leering (laughs) (laughs) that affects like teenage girls that, I mean, it structures, it structures life. So my feeling is like that structures every female person's life in a pretty specific way in the way that we are like called to participate in heterosexuality by being observed. So we've got that issue also. Mm. But then for me as like a masculine kid who in different ways, like disciplined my own masculinity, like leaned out of it and stuff. I also had no space because I didn't, I didn't identify with femininity. Like I, I actually removed myself from athletic spaces because I was tired of having to prove that I wasn't gay with the other girls who were proving that they weren't gay. And I did, I knew that I wasn't like them, but as the one who was like the more traditionally occupying the category of like masculine sports person. I was the one who stepped out of the girl space because it was like not, it was disciplining in another way, which reminds me, I was like going through my notes in, in Tomboy, you talk about, and I, I, I'm sure you didn't actually kind of draw this distinction, but there was a moment where you were saying some kids in this one study 
I like took on masculinity as a function of their tomboyness. Others both took on masculinity and negated femininity. I think a lot of the issue for butch women is that we did do both of those, but we're being yeah. told now that only trans people did both of those. You know, when we say that we were butch kids who were bullied for not being a boy or a girl, that kind of nothingness, we had that in common with, with trans men. So ultimately we're not sure exactly what the difference is. And a lot of people these days, I think what's confusing these days is a lot of people are saying there's no difference. Like whether or not you have gender dysphoria, you can be trans. Butch women who are on the border can essentially choose. I can choose whether to identify as a woman or non-binary. So it's like the words we choose have come so, so much into play in terms of where our alliances are. Um, right. And ultimately I chose the word lesbian because I saw it disappearing because I think what's so scary to people is like solidarity that could actually counter the like shitting upon girls that occurs. Um, and what I don't like, this is my, I'm ranting a little bit. There's one thing and I wanted to hear your feedback on it because you wrote the book Tomboy and because I have a thing called Stone Butch Disco, we're both talking about the masculine element in the woman world. The thing that I wish not to ever disappear is the way that my identity would make no sense to me without femme lesbians who want what I am. So there's this, this femininity that gets pushed out of the conversation when the whole world wants to center who is and is not a man, who is and is not masculine, and the butchers and the trans men are arguing with each other. And it's like, we're forgetting that a whole group of us like clings to sameness with, les with other lesbians and another group of us doesn't. Um, so it does become a political question. I think a lot of people feel the fuzziness of the category, feel solidarity, feel okay with the fuzziness, right? It's the other people that need to know, which are you? We need to know, there, there's so much pressure on, on alliance now. Yeah. And it, I'm also thinking about, I was not a person who ever joined any groups. I was in no after-school clubs. I was on no sports teams because I sucked. Um, in high school, I hung out with the hippies and the druggies and the artsy types, but it wasn't really a click and we didn't have any official activities other than smoking cigarettes before school and smoking pot in between classes. And um, the first time I joined any kind of group was after I had a kid and I joined a mom's group, which was very odd, you know, because I felt so different than there was only one other woman there that she and I were kind of like, I think we're similar. I ended up really enjoying it. And I don't need to be like the people to commune with them, especially for advice on child rearing. But now I'm part of, now I feel I'm part of some kind of group and it's a group of, of people committed to heterodoxy. So they're committed to, we don't have to agree. We can push back and it's an opportunity to, you know, if someone critiques me, I don't have to feel bruised by it or hurt or harmed or whatever this language is. I can feel like, oh, this is an opportunity to strengthen my or change my argument if I'm wrong. And um, it has people of different political persuasions, some of whom are quite different, difficult for me to sit with, like actual conservatives, not the kind of old fashioned conservatives who believe in things I don't believe in, like the free market. But I mean, like, people who don't believe in gay marriage or abortion like yeah. it's hard but they're humans and um and and if we are more complex about these divisions you find there are all kinds of ways that you 
align with people on some issues and not on others. And it's a more interesting way to live in the world. And it's about a, a world in which you can imagine making good policy, making good listeners, making good citizens, and not about everything being so tribal. And so now I feel I'm part of a group. And it's, the only reason I can be part of this group is because there's no one way of being that's required for membership other than to lead with intellectual humility yeah. and, um, and, and view and to embrace viewpoint diversity. I didn't know. Now I've well, lost my train of thought again, even though I, no, I, I, why I, am I talking about that? No, I appreciate it. I, I didn't really lead you in a specific direction because I was reflecting on the necessity for politics and, but we're, we're like circling around diversity versus diversity and inclusion versus survival. <laughs> um, I was thinking when you're, when you were saying we don't need to get tribal, I totally agree. And then I also think, wait, do I need to be blaming myself? Because there is an element of my soul that has gotten potentially tribal in the sense that butch women are being told that we don't exist. It's, it's weird because it's like femme lesbians. I had a couple of my friends landed in Portland, thought they would be like in the enlightened world. And they were femme lesbians looking for butch women, right? Like as though that's a specific thing. And they were told there aren't any individual human beings in the queer community looked at them and said, that's not really a thing anymore. So like that specific thing that you're wanting, you cannot find it. You are going to need to date people who identify otherwise. And so the way in which right. we're getting tribal now is like, hang on, no, people are saying that we right here don't exist. And they're telling kids that they can't have what we have. Like girl children are being told that there is no lesbian future for them, that there are actually people who want, you know, female masculinity and female femininity, but between, between women, that we have a whole generation of kids growing up, not hearing that that's an option and not seeing- right butch women in the media, you know? So my question was, how do we balance then the need for diversity of viewpoint with also the fact that everybody is insisting that if you don't quote unquote make space for every viewpoint, um, you're a bad person. You can probably tell I'm addressing the, the sense that like, we're being told that our lesbian identity cannot be about femaleness, that we can't use that word that that word is exclusionary, that we can't have a space where like butch lesbian means a certain thing or femme lesbian means a certain thing. Um, what do we do about that? Well, first of all, what you're describing is interests me in that. Um, it's as if these underground identities from the 1950s that you talked about have been driven underground again. Yes. And I don't think any of gender ideology is about viewpoint diversity. It's the opposite. Mm. It's there's one way to see this. And if you don't see it our way, you're a horrible bigot and you're committing genocide, which I'm, I'm kind of surprised more Jews aren't upset about the Great. use of this word. Cause you know, when we use that word with the Holocaust, we, we're talking about, uh, throwing millions of people in gas chambers. We're not talking about using the wrong pronoun. Part of the problem with the battle over the words is that we're battling over some people's cultural associations. The, the meanings of the word are words are fairly simple. 
which is not to say that they don't have ex exceptions, but we know what male and female mean. Yes, there's a tiny, tiny, tiny number of people with intersex medical conditions that confound those notions in some way, but for 99.98% of the population, it's just what kind of body you have. There are variations within those bodies, but that's it, right? Like objecting to the word mother, it just means the, the female parent. You're objecting to uh, some association you have with it. And you're assuming I have the same association mm -hmm. and therefore trying to control the meaning of the word and who gets to use it and how. So again, when I'm saying like, I'm spending all this time talking about sex and gender in the hope that I don't have to, that these words can just mean what they mean right. again. And to, to take these words away from women has obviously led to much scarier things. Right. Has, led to putting male rapists in women's prisons has has you know led to confusing a generation of vulnerable young people mm -hmm. um you know it's not when we when we try to impose our personal meaning of a of a word or idea about gender a tiny kind of um, radical minority view of things and map that onto the entire human race, there's going to be backlash, there's going to be confusion, and there are going to be consequences that are actually really dangerous, mm -hmm. as we're seeing for women. And we're seeing, we've seen quite a bit of male violence against women. I mean, last week there was the thing in, in New Zealand with oh, yeah. Kelly, I always say it wrong, Kelly J. Keene or Kelly Jean K. I, she sorry, goes I can't like Posey Parker, right? Posey like, Parker. Okay, that yeah. I can remember. Can go with Posey Parker. Uh, um, but, but, but I've seen images of that, uh, uh, things like that before. So yeah, there are real, turns out to be that there are big consequences to this to this word play yeah. or word games or word wars. And again, I feel like it's this kind of these young people with no sense of history of gender and sex who don't, who just don't realize that you can be masculine without being a man, you know, that like right. they, they think this word man is about what you wear and what kind of haircut you have. It's a, it, and, and, and truthfully, that's a three-year-old's, three to three to seven-year-old's understanding of sex and gender being the same thing. So we have an entire generation who's encouraged to have a kind of toddler or, or preschoolers understanding of sex and gender and to retain that throughout their entire cognitive development. And from my point of view, it's, it's become apparent to me that even for those kids who are not seeing that they need to, that like being masculine requires a full transition into the category of transgender man, they are seeing womanhood as a tiny, a tiny thing, but more a negativity. Like what you need to do is move away from association with woman or female. I mean, I had a student 
I was teaching some gifted and talented kids and they were having a conversation about sex and gender. And um, one of them turned to me and was like, miss, uh, I won't say his name, miss, this kid says that uh, there's only two, two genders, male and female. And then I had another kid go, well, isn't there a difference between sex and gender? And then I said, how old are these kids? They they were 14. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, good. Great. Yeah. So this kid, he was like, when you're a teacher, the kid who helps you teach, like he was that kid. He was like, well, isn't there a difference between sex and gender? And then I I turned back to this student who identifies as non-binary. And I was like, yeah, hey, what, what do you think about maybe both things being true? Like you can say, I have a female body and I'm non-binary. And she was like, no, ew, I'm not female. Female is gross. And mm. that's not, that's so common. I mean, the you can tell the subtext of all of this is like, we just have to move away from this negativity. And then lesbians are seeing that doubly intensified because people are saying, um, you know, I'm a lesbian because I sleep with anybody who's not a cis man. I don't know how much you've seen that one, but it's like, it's so it's like, it puts butch women into this, like nothing in particular category of like, you know, whoever's not this er masculine male is, you know, just one among many. So I, I do think the category functions are operating only to disappear the things that patriarchy doesn't like, right? Um, and it's like, I wouldn't wa- I wouldn't wish to have to fight over these categories at all, except for the fact that there are some that are just specifically like crapped on <laughs> by children because they're taught that misogyny. They decide just like I did as a child, like, okay, well then I'm just going to dissociate from girl because that's a narrow category of dumb cis woman who has no complexity. Cis woman is like the ultimate trash term these days, it seems. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Cis white woman. Cis white woman, right? Yuck. But okay, so on this note, I'm sorry, our conversation is like, in my head, it's like a tree and it's ramifying and there's a thousand different ways to go at every single moment. Yeah, that's how my brain is all the time. So perfect. (laughs) I'm, I'm hitting that, that space because I'm looking at my notes and like, Jack Halberstam. Okay. We've got these ways that categories shouldn't matter, but keep mattering because the she version, the she category is the one that keeps getting smushed and the specificity of it keeps getting smushed. So from Wikipedia, and this is like Halberstam suggested advising me on my dissertation. So we've had a couple of interactions. I've been to a couple of panels um, and I've taken issue with enough things that I didn't accept that offer of like, like if I had accepted that, I feel like I would have been shuttled through the system and would now be like, privileged right deeply privileged um so this is like a loaded territory for me but but halberstam was the one who said that lesbians were depressing so he stopped being a lesbian in the 80s but on wikipedia it says about his pronouns halberstam goes by the name jack and is quote loosey-goosey and a quote free floater when it comes to gender identity slash binary conformity and pronoun usage halberstam has said that quote a lot of people call me he some people call me she and i let it be a weird mix of things he says that, quote, the back and forth between he and she sort of captures the form that my gender takes nowadays, end quote, and that the floating gender pronouns have captured Jack's refusal to resolve gender ambiguity. Jack does, however, say that, quote, and this is the kicker for me, grouping me with someone else who seems to have a female embodiment and then calling us ladies is never, ever okay. So Jack's whole thing is like being super fluid, except in one case. And that's Mm -hmm. what I've seen all over the academy. Whenever you Mm -hmm. see somebody who uses she and they pronouns, everyone picks they. Whenever you see somebody who uses they and he pronouns, everyone picks he. Halberstam says he's fluid, but has never in any of the bio materials, which I had to prepare at one point, never suggested any other pronoun use other than he. So it's like, what is this nod toward fluidity 
when there is ultimately one that is the no-go. Well, one, one supposition has to do with, um, and I hate to say it like this, but the cultural devaluation of femininity, right? That if you remember this chapter about the end of the princess phase in the book and that, you know, most girls, something like 75% of girls, or at least girls in these studies, um, went through an intense princess phase between ages three and six and pink was their favorite color and they wanted sparkles and uh, glitter and pink, which- that was PFD for pink frilly dresses, which is a term that some psychologists talking about this have actually used for that phase. Which uh, I also, I still like sparkles, glitter, and pink, by the way. Um, <laughs> we have mandatory uh, glitter and pink in this household for all. But uh, then around age seven, you get these girls saying, I hate pink and I hate, I'm not wearing dresses anymore. But you don't get boys saying, I hate blue and I'm not wearing pants anymore. I'm wearing dresses. It's only on one side. And so the theory is that not only is this coinciding with um, sex constancy, which I understand now that my category is based on my body, not just on my adherence to stereotypes, but also that realizing that everything marked as feminine is lower down on the totem pole in our culture. And it wouldn't matter what it was because there is no, pink is not female, right? It's, we assigned it to be feminine in in this culture, but it's not naturally feminine. And so that's a perfect example of like everyone, all these girls saying, I hate it. And boys also digging in on like, no, absolutely no on the pink, you know, around age seven or eight. And it's interesting to hear that sort of, carried on into adulthood for for some of these females um and that they still they still feel this need i did interview some non-binary people who told me once they no longer identified as female they felt freer to um embrace those stereotypes that one was like oh i could put purple hair dye in my hair because i'm not a girl and i saw that part i i want kids to feel free to explore but I there was something very sad about that to me that you have to be better than the other girls you have to push away the chance to I mean if you think about it like I didn't join a group until I was 37 years old and procreate and was kind of like oh these people are they're not all going to reject me as I feared mm-hmm. you know they they're okay. A lot of them, well, some of them did, but that's just my personality. But, but, you know, I, it just took me so long to kind of um, pull the gates down a little bit and sort of be not, not assume that I couldn't be part of these different groups. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I also don't, the thing about non-binary is you are male or female, you know, I understand the desire to be free of gendered expectations. I want that for young people, but you can't opt out of your sex category. Yeah. You you can have very very invasive medical interventions to change 
uh, your secondary sex characteristics that will uh, affect you for life, but you could also just do whatever the fuck you want. Right. Right. You could be teasing kids, wear what you want, love who you love. Now I sound like J.K. Rowling. Anyway, um, you know, your body, again, your body is perfect. Your difference is your strength. I don't know. I guess those are my bumper stickers that I'm going with. (laughs) Well, I'll do the same um, because that's what we're dealing with for sure. And we, I mean, in the Butch community, which can hardly be called a community by itself now, really like there has been such infighting, not infighting, but just fracturing along who is and is not aligned with women essentially, because there's like the lesbian Butch femme community, which sees a real need to like protect each other right now. Um, Yeah. And to say there's nothing wrong with your body and all that. Um, but but we're and I I guess it's it's in our territory that we're dealing with that. Like there is nothing about the way that you have sex, which is what the most intimate things that hurt lesbians are not being discussed. Like like so many straight and bi and queer women have kind of flooded the lesbian dating pool who are who think that butch that butch like that female masculinity is hot, but are not invested in like being with women. And so what's happening, this is just kind of true. What's happening is they're telling butch women that the way that butch women have had sex for like hundreds of years, millennia is trans. And they're encouraging them to see their sexuality as something that needs to conform to heterosexuality. Um, And when you, can you illuminate me a little bit about what you mean when you say the way butch women have sex? So like traditional old fashioned, old school butch femme sex looks exactly like heterosex. It's with a strap on. Uh And uh-huh. when we have orgasms, we are inside the person. Like uh-huh. this is like, it looks identical to heterosex, uh-huh. and, but that's what pe- what women can do. But what, what has happened is because of the, I think blurring of the categories around who and is, who is and is not actually invested in female masculinity. There are a lot of people saying that they're attracted to that kind of human, but they're not actually, they don't have a feminist consciousness or a lesbian consciousness and they don't care. They'll tell you like, oh, I don't care that you're a woman when it should matter that you're a woman to them. Mm -hmm. That's what feels validating. So there are so few butch lesbians actually being put in touch with the people who would validate them these days. Mm -hmm. I've, I've experienced this personally, of course, like being told that there's actually something wrong with me for the great sex that we just had, right? Like that is the, what's happening. And it's because these women don't want to be lesbians. They're actually more comfortable in visually heterosexual relationships there's been a lot of pushing of butch lesbian this is just it's just the truth and it sounds bad and i've been scared to talk about it but it's there's been a lot of pushing of us toward maleness to make to fit better in a model of relationship because lesbianism is no longer visible and what's that what that's done is put femme lesbians on the outs so actual femme lesbians who actually are looking for actual butch women are having trouble because the queer community has told them you have no specificity if you state that you want a female masculine woman you're transphobic so those people are like living in and i've heard from like 20 people like this who are like living in a cave because they literally cannot say out loud who they want to date um without it harming someone i mean so much for like gender is a spectrum and yeah so much for the fluidity right it's like except for you 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 and you yeah and it's the females, which is why I'm like, damn, like it's it's always uh-huh. 
of course the patriarchy rolls downhill and it hits female youth who want to do anything different. Like, and that's why I think Tomboy is such an important book because we do need to focus on that side of the situation. Like male femininity, men, gay men who get penetrated, nobody is like right over them being like, I guess you're trans, huh? Right. <laughs> like right. You're opposite. really a woman. You're yeah. really a woman if exactly. you want that inside you. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, a lot of people call this a men's rights movement and it's hard, it's hard for women to win. <laughs> and I, I think that, that we have to, I guess going back to the heterodoxy kind of thing is we have to build broad coalitions of people who see the need to live in some kind of shared reality. Yeah. And and to be able to disagree about some things. And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about aligning with actual bigots. I'm just saying like we have to figure out how to stand up to this and how to I I feel that there's been some movement. I feel more liberals are finding ways to speak out. I the mainstream media has started to report with more complexity on these gender issues. So I think, I think it's a scary time because I think the more that ha happens, the more violent the reaction will be from those invested in these new definitions and meanings of, and ways of seeing the world mm -hmm. as they feel their power lesson, lesson, they may become increasingly violent. And I, I do still believe in all lots of different kinds of gender diversity. I know and care about a lot of transsexuals as as they call most of the people I know call themselves. And I um I don't want to see them or any like lesbians, you know, go underground. I don't want I don't want to cede this issue to the right, and I don't want to cede this issue to real conservatives who think there's only one way uh -huh. of uh, one kind of sexuality or or way of being gendered in the world. So, in order for that to happen, this this center, all of these people in between these radical poles, have to stand firm. Uh -huh. They have to say like. It's okay to use the word female. It just it just means this kind of body. Yeah. I mean, just just try to ho hold on to reality as, as tightly as we can, and push back against the radical left and the radical right with uh, compassion. And I, I could be totally wrong about this, right? Because I I see that the that the that the hard left and the hard right are just trying to win. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe I'm a defeatist and don't think I can win, but I also, I also never have enough conviction to, to, to think that I can, I, I, there's a lot wrong with me, but I never think like I can just impose my idea onto everybody else and, and suck it. If you don't like it, I, I'm more like the fun, the fun is the complexity and also all I all I know for sure about the subject is that the media did us a just grave disservice by allowing activists to rewrite the rules of journalism and poorly inform 
all liberals in America. And I can say that with complete conviction. Everything else about this subject, I might be wrong about. And um, let's just let's just hold tight to reality and move forward. So where is the best place for people to go in your work to look for the journalistic norms? Is it the essay that I recently read via your Substack? The, the Trans Journalist yeah. Association? Or is there- Yeah, I think, I think there's a, I, I, I'm trying to work on a big reported piece um, about what happened in the media. I wanna tell the actual story of what happened. Okay. And I'm trying to piece that together. How is it that we allowed these style guides to be rewritten to not use words like male and female yes. to 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 not report on detransitioners mm-hmm. to what what actually happened? I have some suspicions, um, but I don't know enough yet to to talk about it. And um, but that's a big, long, juicy chapter I want to write, and what I hope will someday be a book. But who knows? Well, I'm. I'm waiting with bated breath to see what that contains. It's so close to my heart because I did the same thing for the Academy for watching over the 50 years that the National Women's Studies Association existed, watching the syllabuses change, watching the panel titles change. Like I was tracking all that. Um, And that's the stuff that my advisor who was part and parcel with all that stuff. She was like, "Um, this doesn't matter in the real world. And I was like, it matters to me. And it's trickling down into activist spaces more than you know. Like queer theory rewrote the rules on what it on what enlightenment was on what enlightenment was gave us a reason that sex could be dispensed with um which is great which is crazy if you look at the like what judith butler actually wrote um so you had a story i tried tried, but i couldn't understand it (laughs) (laughs) yeah her her original stuff i think it's purposefully what's the word abstruse i think it's purposeful yeah Yeah. um or obtuse no both 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 yeah yeah um you have a story about the word butch is that the one you were gonna oh yeah I interviewed well I had like seven things that we didn't get to but maybe we'll talk again I I um yeah I interviewed the the mother of a of a trans boy and uh for my podcast which I'll be putting or my so the audio version of my sub stack which I'm gonna be putting up next week and she just said this thing that was so interesting which was that her child she kind of asked her her child why why do you think you can't just live as a butch lesbian? And and the kid said, well, I'm just, I'm not like masculine enough for that. Whoa. And yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. And, and the child, the, he he's grown, he, he transitioned in his twenties and she's very supportive and she's very concerned about trans activism. And so is he, and you know, that's why I interviewed her because I wanna focus on the difference between trans people and trans activism. But I thought that was a really interesting comment that again was about black, still still black and white understandings. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's a big question for young people today of how we can train them to be nuanced about gender. We are doing the opposite now. What do we need to do to to make them see that um, that they don't need to play by these rules and that and that they don't need to spend a lot of time thinking about their identities or even gender. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we roll back the overcorrection? I don't know yet, but I hope a bunch of us start working on it. 
I, I, we should probably leave it with that question. Um, thank you so much for your time. I won't keep you any longer. There are truly 75 million things I, I would love to talk to you about. I know I had a list of things too, that I meant to say, but we didn't get to it. So we, we can, there's someday you can cycle back to me after you've had, an, you know, enough other people. <laughs> thank you so much, Lisa. Until next yeah, time. Thanks for having me. Find links to Lisa's work in the show notes. And as always, please consider supporting Stone Butch Disco at patreon.com slash stonebutchdisco. Now I'm on one, no shortcuts on that long run. All I really want is my share.